Welcome. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman. We're glad that you are here. And I hope that you will check in. If you're here on site, you can use your, your check-in card. Remember, we're doing that survey today about Christmas Eve. Let us know what your plans are. And if you're watching online, you can uh, download our app. That's probably the easiest thing to do. Search for Church Center in your app store and then look for Cornerstone. We're in a series where we're working through the book of Philippians, and it's called In It Together. And the key verse that is kind of the theme for the whole, uh, for the whole book, the whole letter, is Philippians 1.27. It says this, above all, if there's one thing you're going to remember, if there's one thing you're going to do, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, we've kind of highlighted the different aspects of this throughout this series, and you'll notice that I have that word citizen there highlighted today because that's what we're going to be focusing in on. Now, it's actually part of a verb. Usually when the Apostle Paul s- says something like this, he uses the, the Hebrew idiom of walking. You might be able to think of some scriptures that talk about walking in a manner that is worthy or walking in the Lord. Your walk is your way of living your life. But in this particular instance, he doesn't use that. Even though he's conveying the same idea, he's using a verb that means to to be citizens of a place, to be citizens of heaven that are worthy of the gospel. And it's interesting because as I was studying this week and focusing in on that verb, there there are two aspects to the verb. There's the active and the middle voice, if you care about Greek uh, grammar. And the active just means that you're a that you live in a certain place. You know, I live in Canterbury. You may live in Concord. You may live in where. And so that verb, be citizens, would be used in that way. It's just like, that's where I live. But if you use the middle voice, which is saying, uh, I'm a citizen myself of, something like that, then what that means is to be an active participant. Here's the way one commentator put it in the New International Commentary on the New Testament. This verb denotes to live in the polis, the city-state. But here, because of the tense of the verb, it means to take an active part in the affairs of the polis. Now, you, you know there's a big difference between just living someplace and taking an active part in the community. And what he's saying here is as a follower of Jesus, as a member of God's family, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, what I want you to do is I want you to take an active part. I want you to be active participants in what's going on. And so the big idea for this whole series has been this, to be citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ, again, from that verse. Now, last week, we talked about being worthy of living up to the standard. So that was kind of our focus last week. But this week, we're going to talk about what it means to be citizens, to be active participants. And so, in fact, that's what I've called today is active participants. That's the name of this message. And the question that we're going to answer is this, how is fellowship defined? You might remember, and we'll look at it in just a second, that in the beginning, the Apostle Paul talks about uh, being thankful for the Philippians' participation. Their fellowship is the word. It's the same word that we is translated fellowship in other places, uh, koinonia. Some of you might have heard that before. 
Um, and he's saying, I'm thankful that you are active participants, that you have fellowship with me. So I just want you to step back from that for just a second. And in light of your experience, when you think of a church fellowship, what do you think of? I mean, you're usually thinking of, you know, the church basement, getting together and gathering around some finger food and stuff like that. We're going to have a fellowship. We're just going to get together and eat some food. That's what usually fellowship means in the church. But that's not really the kind of fellowship that he's talking about here. He's not talking about getting together and, and having finger food. He's more talking about, how many of you have seen the fellowship of the ring? Right? I mean, that's, that's a little bit different. I rewatched the, I rewatched the, the, the scene where they're all gathered together and they're, they're, um, deciding what they're going to do and who's going to play a part and who's going to do what. And, uh, and it's kind of funny because, you know, they're kind of bickering. They're kind of arguing at first about what's going on. But then once, once the, the mission is set and the people are gathering around that mission. You know, one of them says, you have my sword. Another said, you have my arrow and my axe. It's like, okay, that's the fellowship. They're, they're a group on mission and they're all contributing to it. And it's going to be life or death. It's, you know, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle is up for grabs. We are going to be a fellowship. I want you, when you think of church, to think less of finger food and more fellowship of the ring. That's, that's, that's what I hope that you have in mind when you think of a church fellowship. And it's all about participation. From early days at Cornerstone, we decided that membership was not going to be just signing your name on a list somewhere. Uh, I, I, my, my family uh, was from a church where you had maybe 20 people show up on Sunday, but you had 300 members because, you know, all you had to do was sign a, sign a, a paper at some point in your life. And as long as you didn't die, or some of them died and they were probably still on the list probably, but, but as, long as, as long as you didn't say, hey, take me off that list or something like that, then you stayed on the list. There was, it, there was no participation required. But that's not what the church is supposed to be. That's not how the church really works. It's active participation. So membership at Cornerstone has always been defined by participation. If you are actively participating in the church, then we affirm your membership in the church. And so that's when I talk about membership, you'll understand that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. And I think that that's a biblical approach. So the bottom line today is this. That partners in the gospel, people who are in fellowship within the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, who are part of God's family and citizens in God's kingdoms, kingdom, are active participants. Part- partners in the gospel are active participants. And we're going to look at examples of some active participants in the church uh, that are surrounding Paul. And what we'll see is that partners in the gospel say, I'll go. Partners in the gospel say, I'll serve. And partners in the gospel say, I'll take a risk. And here's what I want for each of us to take a step in the direction of active participation. I love that you show up, but really to be a part of the fellowship, you have to be an active participant. So let's see some examples of that from the book of Philippians. Laura is going to read our scripture today, so you can come on up. She's going to be reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30 in the New Living Translation. 
Good morning, everyone. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself, like a son with his father. Did I put the wrong translation, or do, are you reading something else? This is NLT. It's the NLT? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. I must have put the wrong translation on the screen then. Okay, so everybody just listen to Laura. <laughs> okay, I lost my place. Okay. Um, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Thank you. (laughs) Back to you. That was the only word that, anyway... (laughs) <laughs> he is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. you would speak to us. I thank you, Lord, that you have preserved and provided your word for us and that we have the opportunity to study it together. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit who inspired your word would speak to each heart here today, that every person here, you know their need. You know where they need direction, where they need encouragement, where they need challenging, where they need rebuking or correcting. And Lord, I pray that you would do that through your word and through your spirit, and that you would find in us prepared hearts, willing hearts, open ears, eyes that are open to the truth, and feet that are quick to obey and to follow you wholeheartedly. Use this time together for your glory, your honor, your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so again, partners in the gospel are active participants. Partnering means participation. So let's look where we get this. Again, I mentioned this verse earlier. We looked at it in one of the earlier messages. It's actually in the introduction. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the apostle Paul says, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. Remember, one of the main themes of this whole letter is the idea of joy or rejoicing. 
And he says, this is what causes me joy. For you have been my partners. And that's that fellowship word. That's koinonia. In spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Now, this is interesting because a lot of times uh, when we talk about serving, when we talk about uh, ministering to one another, when we talk about jumping in and being full participants, when people first start out in their spiritual journey, they're often tentative because you don't feel like you're qualified. You don't feel like you know enough of the Bible. You don't feel like you have enough experience. But what do we see here? And this is actually pretty common. He's saying, I brought the gospel to you from the time you first heard of it, so they, they heard the, the message of Jesus. That is who Jesus is, that he's fully God and fully man. What he did, that he lived a perfect life and then went to the cross and died a death that he did not deserve in order that we might receive the grace and forgiveness that we could never earn. And then what it means for us is that we have to accept that. We declare our allegiance to Christ. We are adopted into his family. We become citizens in his kingdom. That happened. They first heard it. And even till now, later, but the Apostle Paul has gone and come back a couple of times to the church. He's now imprisoned in Rome. But what is he saying? He's saying, as I think back on my experience with you, with you guys, the church at Philippi, you jumped right in. You were active participants from the moment you heard the message all the way through to now. You've been consistent and you didn't wait. That's the model. So I don't know what your thought is, you know, and a lot of times people hold back because they feel like they're not qualified or they don't know enough, but God's design is for you to be an active participant in the body of Christ from day one. So whatever you're waiting for, whatever you're feeling like you're not qualified for, the don't worry about that. You know, just start jumping in, start being an active participant. There are things that you can do and that's the design. You don't get the full benefit of being a follower of Christ until you start actively participating in ministry. So from the time you first heard it until now. So for some of you, maybe the next step is to, you're in that first heard it. And the idea that, that you cannot earn your salvation, but it's based upon what Christ did on the cross, that it's received as a gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. That might be new to you, and you've never, you've never thought about that, or it's never been explained to you that way. Now is the time to say yes. What are you saying yes to? God's forgiveness through what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus' lordship in your life, that means that he's just, he's the boss. He gets to call the shots. You're gonna do what he says. And from the moment you say yes, you're adopted into his family. You're a citizen in his kingdom. And his design is that you be an active participant in his church. So that's kind of the foundation, koinonia, fellowship. Again, much less about finger food, much more like fellowship of the ring. So we're going to be partners in the gospel. We, if we're going to do that, we're going to be active participants. I love when I see people taking the initiative. One of our core values at Cornerstone, the thing that we're looking for and the thing that we're trying to, to engender in people is the idea that when you see a need, you fill it. When there's something to do, you do it. You don't wait for 
permission, you can ask for forgiveness later. But just go ahead and jump in and do something. We love that. Now, the ex- what happens in this book is this letter, this book is actually a letter, and this letter is m- much more of an update than anything else. The Apostle Paul, again, is in prison. He's uh, writing to this church that he founded. He's sending one of their members back, and he's sending this letter with an update, an update on his situation and an update on his plans. And the section that we're looking at today is really about his plans, but it, it talks about two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy is Paul's right-hand man, his apprentice, who uh, uh, was all, almost always with Paul from the time that he encountered him on his second missionary journey. And then Epaphroditus, who was a member of the church at Philippi, who had been sent with a gift and to help Paul while he was imprisoned, he's now being sent back. So it's an update on these two men and Paul's plans with them. But in the midst of this, of this update, we can see what an example, as the Bible Project video pointed out, of people uh, who are active participants, what it means to be an active participant in the gospel, to be a, a citizen who is taking an active part in the kingdom of God. So the first thing that I want you to notice is that when you become an active partner in the gospel, you are saying to the Lord, I'll go. I'll go. You cannot say yes to the Lord. I'll go with God and stay where you are. That just doesn't happen because part of growth is change. And I know some of you don't like change and some of you are, are not excited about change, but if you are growing, you are changing. And sometimes those changes that are in your life are prompting growth. You have to deal with certain things. You have to do things differently. You have to deal with situations you did not expect and did not want. But in the midst of those things, as you press forward, as you go, you are going to grow. The other aspect to this is that we are missionaries. We are ambassadors. We're, you, you might not be used to thinking of yourself a, a, that way as a follower of Jesus, that you're a missionary. You might think that, well, that's something that you have to sign up for and you have to be super spiritual to, to do something like that. But we are on mission. That's what being a missionary is. We are, the scriptures say, ambassadors for Christ. We are members of participants in, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, but we're living in the kingdom of this world. We're, we're not at home. We are ambassadors. And so we say, I will go. Let's look at it in the case of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Here's what it says about Timothy. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. Remember that Paul is in prison. Remember in the very first verse of this book, it says that this is from Paul and from Timothy. So Timothy is there with him. 
And part of Timothy's job seems to be, as we read through the New Testament, that whenever Paul needed an update or he needed something done in a particular place and he couldn't go there himself, he would send Timothy. And that's exactly what we see happening here. Paul is under house arrest. He can't go to the Philippians, but he plans to send Timothy so that he can get an update and he can be encouraged. Remember this whole letter is kind of an update. He's just given them an update saying, look, I am in prison, but it's actually turned out really well. The gospel is getting spread. People who we never would have been able to reach are being reached. So be encouraged, rejoice in this. And so he's saying, I want to send Timothy to you, Philippians, so that he can find out what's going on and then come back with good news about you. So then I can rejoice about you just the way that you are rejoicing about me. So Timothy is his ambassador. He's the one that goes in his place when Paul can't. And what we are as followers of Jesus, we are ambassadors for Christ. It's, it's kind of mind boggling if you think about it, that after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, that he basically left the message and the mission in the hands of a really relatively small group of people, maybe several hundred people who were followers and disciples of Jesus at the time of the ascension. And his whole plan for getting the the word out to the rest of the world was just to entrust it to those people. That was his plan. And that is his plan today as well. He has entrusted the message and the mission to us. The other person is Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, remember, came from Philippi to Paul probably bringing uh, some kind of financial gift and also to just be there and serve him. So uh, he says, meanwhile, I thought in the meantime, until I can send Timothy, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. My brother, coworker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my needs. So let's, let's look at this again. Epaphroditus had been ill, almost to the point of death, almost died. I love the little illustration. Did you see in the Bible project video? It's pretty funny. You go back and look at it. Uh, but he almost died. And so they at Philippi had heard about this. They're worried about him. And he, and so Paul is, is encouraged that he got better and he wants to send him back to Philippi so that they won't be worried about him as well. But look at how he describes him. He says, Epaphroditus is my brother, coworker, and fellow soldier. Brother, we, 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 are, we are in the same family. We, we, are, we are a part of God's family. Coworker, we have locked arms to carry the message and to fulfill the mission. And a fellow soldier, Remember, another theme in this whole book has been the opposition that they've been facing. It's like, this isn't just a walk in the park. We are, we are doing battle, but he is my brother in arms as well, my fellow soldier. And then he describes, and this is, this is really cool, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. And this pairs together. These two words are, are cool. M- messenger is the, the noun form of the verb to send. And that is where we get the word apostle. Apostle just means one who was sent. So he's saying he was your apostle 
to, to, to minister to my need. You sent him to accomplish a mission, and, and that was cool. And then the second word, minister, there are two words that I think of when I see the word minister in there. One of them has the idea of a slave, and in fact, some of your translations may have translated this as a servant. So it's somebody who is doing some kind of work. It's somebody who is serving the needs of others. The other word that I think of is the word from which we get deacon. It just means a minister. It means it originally meant someone who is serving tables, like somebody who works at a restaurant and is a server. That that that's the word that they used for the and from which we get deacon. But this word is actually neither of those. It's the idea of someone who is, I, my word for it, is a benefactor. Uh, in, in the cities, there would be people who would be designated by this word that they translate as minister, a benefactor. And what they would do is they would actively participate in the city by providing for some need. Maybe uh, a maybe a sports team needed to some sponsorship or maybe there was a a play that somebody wanted to put on and they would provide the resources the finances for that to happen maybe there was some kind of public work that needed to be done and this person would come in and provide the resources to make that happen so so that's the word and again it's tying into this idea of citizenship you've got some uh, the the christian idea of an apostle and you've got this civic idea of a benefactor. And he's saying, that's what, that's what Epaphroditus was to me. He was your apostle, and he was the benefactor sent into my life to meet those needs. So both of these guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, were willing to go. And if you are going to go with God, you cannot stay where you are. For some of you, that might mean something like it meant for us. I grew up in South Florida. I was born in Key West, Florida. I think the record low in Key West, Florida is something like 42, 44 degrees, something like that. Before we moved up here, I had never lived on a permanent basis any farther south than Palm Beach County. You know where that is, because that's where Palm Beach is, you know, right at the lower half of the state. In fact, it's so far south, it's not even a part of the south anymore. Once you get, once you get to like Orlando and go further south, it's not the south anymore. It's too much of a melting pot. It's nothing like the south. When, when I was in college, my parents moved to, to coastal Virginia, Tidewater, Virginia, Chesapeake, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, that area. And I went up there to spend a winter break with them. Now, for you... Virginia is the South. It's the heart of the South. I drove 17 hours straight north to get to Virginia. And I spent the winter there and I did not like it. It was cold. I, any place that it snows, I, I have a hard time considering that the South. Uh, and then God called us to move 1,500 miles straight north to New Hampshire. Now, let me tell you how I looked at that. You see, we're on mission. We're here for a very short time. Your life on earth is a speck compared to your life throughout eternity. And if we're on mission, you see, if at that time, if you'd asked me, where on earth would you like to live? I would not have chosen New Hampshire. I, I just wouldn't have. 
right? I, I mean, that was, that was farther north than the heart of the south where it was really cold. And I was not interested in that. I liked South Florida where it was, you know, we had seasons. It was almost summer, summer, still summer, and snowbird season. That, that was it. And now here, I like the change of seasons. I've grown. And of course, here you have almost winter, winter, still winter, and construction. That's the seasons here. So I really, I, I've, and I've learned to appreciate that. But, but that's, how we, that's how I looked at it. Of all the choices, of all the places I could live, I, I probably wouldn't have moved here. But God called us here. And I'm a missionary on mission. And so whether I would have chosen this place among all the places in the world to live really doesn't matter so much because I'm an ambassador. I'm, I've been commissioned and I'm on mission. Now, as it turns out, as you probably can pick up, I, I have learned to love this area. I do enjoy the change of seasons. I, I, uh, there's so much I appreciate it. Now, the last month or so as it's been getting cold, I've been a little grumpy. I'll be honest. But I still, I love this place and I love the people. But that's something that the Lord had to do in my heart. And if you are going to be following, following Jesus, it, you know, it may, it may mean moving, it may not. It may mean doing like John and Mason did and spending some time on the other side of the world. It, it may be just being open to what God wants to do with you right here. But you cannot go with God and stay where you are. And he will challenge you and he will push you. And he will move you because that's part of his plan for you. And that's what it means. So partners in the gospel are active participants. Partners in the gospel are going to say, I'll go. And partners in the gospel also say, I serve. Let's look at it in the case of Timothy. Now, Timothy, again, was Paul's right-hand man. And this is how he describes it. You know how Timothy has proved himself. And I love that word because it's also used of, um, of our faith. And it's, uh, it's, it's the idea, you know, have you ever turned over a box and it has a little stamp on it, some printing that says this box has been tested to 180 pounds pressure or something like that? What's, what's that saying? It's that this box is sturdy and it can stand the pressure. It's been proved. And that's the idea here is like the testing of your faith will prove its worth. It's not to God doesn't test us in order to break us apart. He tests us to show that we are up to what he has called us to, that he is able to make us sufficient to the task. And in this case, it's saying the same thing. Look, Paul, Timothy has been tested. He's been, you, you've seen him, you've seen him at work and he's proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. In other words, he jumped right in. He was an active participant. He's made himself available. He'll go where I send him and he does what needs to be done. He says, I have no one quite like, I have no one quite like Timothy. He is loyal and genuinely, genuinely concerned for you. Remember the apostle Paul has just used the idea of Jesus and his humility and his leveraging himself for the benefit of the world as an example of how we should conduct ourselves. And he's saying, this is exactly what Timothy is like. He is others-centered. 
That again is one of our core values. Initiative we talked about, other-centered or love is another one. It's the idea, I go into a situation and I say, how can I be of help? How can I serve? What can I do to benefit others? And that's what Paul is saying about Timothy. He's loyal and genuinely concerned for you. This is what it means to follow Christ. He said, most people around here are looking out for themselves with little concern for the things of Jesus. But Timothy has made the things of Jesus his number one concern. And so he's going to serve. He's going to leverage everything he has, everything he does, everything available to him for the benefit of others. So partners in the gospel are active participants. Partners in the gospel will go. They will serve. And, And let me just say that that's one of the reasons why when you look at our next steps, if you show up for a couple of weeks, I'm going to ch- I'm going to hopefully challenge you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to serve because that's what it means to be a part of a church. That's what it means to fellowship with one another, and it's going to prompt growth in you. It's one of the best ways to grow as well. But partners in the gospel also say, "I'll take a risk." Now we see this most uh, specifically and explicitly in this passage by looking at Epaphroditus. It says. Uh, Paul speaking of him, because remember, he came. Now, now think about this. He came from the safety of his home, the Roman colony of Philippi, to Rome to associate himself with someone who had been arrested, who could possibly face the death penalty. And he's saying, I'm with this guy. You know, that, that, that takes a little bit of guts. That's a little bit of a risk. And then in the process, unrelated to all that, he gets sick and almost dies far from home. Thankfully, he recovers and he's being sent back home. But uh, as he's being sent back home, Paul says this about him. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, give him the honor that people like him deserve. In other words, he did something noble. He did something honorable. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. I like this translation of this because I think it pulls out the, the, what, what Paul is saying the best. He's saying, look, he, he risked his life for the, for the work of Christ, was to the point of death. Why was he doing that? To serve. There's that idea of service again. He, was, he came here to do for me what you couldn't do because you were far away and because I couldn't return to you. But he allowed himself to be sent and he served And he did so at great risk. And so that's the kind of person that you should honor. This idea of a risk taker uh, was picked up a little bit later. Same word that's used there is used to describe uh, about 200 years later a group of people. Now, very often at this time, there would be plagues and sicknesses and illnesses and diseases that spread uh, in areas or sometimes throughout the empire. There's an interesting book uh, that talks about why Christianity spread the way it did because it wasn't a foregone conclusion. And a part of this uh, non-Christian author's premise is that the people who were followers of Jesus when, the, when a plague or a illness or something broke out, they took risks because they believed that they would live forever and they believed that they were called to love their neighbors as themselves. And so sometimes while everyone else was heading for the hills, they would stay put and take care of the sick and, and bury the dead and 
as a result of this, it, it formed a bond with the people. And, and some, this author thinks it was a big part of why Christianity spread and, and was adopted so widely. But, but these guys who were risk takers, there was a, a, a plague that broke out in Carthage in 252. And the bishop decided, hey, we're going to take care of people. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be risk takers. And in fact, they were called the gamblers or the risk takers because they were taking a risk with their life to serve their fellow citizens. And so the idea that we are risk takers as followers of Jesus is ancient, but sometimes underappreciated. Because, uh, you know, people look, uh, what's religion is supposed to be the opiate of the masses. If you can't handle life, then you go to church and you get told comforting things. No, the history of Christianity is that we are the ones that are on the front lines. We're the ones that are taking risk. We're the ones that are willing to risk it all to love our fellow man, our brothers and sisters in Christ and fellow citizens in our cities and regions and states and nations. And I think it would be cool if we kind of recaptured that a little bit. And so when I challenge you to serve in a place that you're not quite sure you're ready for, or to give a tithe, and you've never done that before, and that seems risky, that seems scary to you. When I encourage you to be constantly inviting people to church and inviting people into your circles, I realize that that feels like a risk, and it is, but it's not much of a risk compared to what your brothers and sisters throughout the world are doing right now and have done throughout the history of the church. So what would it be like if we were a little bit more on the risk-taking side? If we were willing to, 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 to gamble a little bit with our lives and our fortunes and our resources and just say, I'm all in for this Jesus thing. Whatever he calls me to do, I will do. And to foreshadow, a little bit later, Paul uses himself as an example. And he's gone through all the advantages that he had within his culture and within his religious circle. And he says, everything that was gained for me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. In other words, all the benefits that I had, I was willing to risk it all because of Christ and what he means to me. He goes on to say, more than that, I consider, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In other words, no matter what gain I might've had from staying where I was, it was worth it to go forward with Christ because of who Christ is. And he's not just talking theoretically, he goes on to say, because of him, because of Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things, all those privileges, all those advantages that were mine. I gave them all up. I've lost them. And I consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. He actually uses a mild vulgarity there to describe all that other stuff. I'm throwing it to the dogs. It's trash. It's not worth anything to me compared 
to the fact that I will gain Christ. So today we've been talking about participation, partners in the gospel, are active participants in the gospel, in the fellowship. That's what it means to be in fellowship. They're willing to go because you can't go with God and stay where you are. They're willing to serve. I'll serve. I see a need and I fill it because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm willing to take a risk. Uh, I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that means for me. But when you follow Jesus, just like he gave his all on the cross, we as followers of Jesus, here's what you signed up for if you said yes. Everything. It's all yours, Lord. You get to call the shots in my life. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to be an active participant. And so this is the time of the year where we encourage active participation and we have defined it by those next steps. The next steps are listed on the back of your growth guide. When you are doing all of those things, then we want to recognize you as a member. It's designed to be challenging. It's a high bar and that's on purpose. But I would encourage you to take a risk and to step up and say, I'm willing to do these things. And if I'm not doing those things, I'm going to start doing those things. And when you start doing those things, we want to actively affirm your membership. And that's how you do that, by going to cornerstonenh.org slash membership, fill that out, and then we will follow up with you. uh, it's, it's not just signing your name on a list. It's not just praying one prayer when you follow Jesus. It's a daily active participation in the mission. So I'm gonna challenge you to take a step in the direction of active participation. Those next steps that you see every week that are on the back of your growth guide, if you want a pattern, if you want a roadmap for what it looks like to be active participants, pick one of those and do it. And then what would it be like? If we had not just a handful of our congregation, but everybody jumping in, everybody saying, I'm all in, I'm going to do all those things. I want to go with God. I'm willing to do whatever he calls me to do. I'm going to take risks. It might be scary, but I can do it afraid. I see a need. I'm going to fill it. I'm just making myself available. I'm Lord, leverage my life. Everything I have, everything I know, everything I've done for your purposes, I make myself available to you. I want to be an active participant in your kingdom. Do with me what you will for your glory and your honor. And if we have a church full of people like that, what might God do in and among us in our time and place? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I guess the big thing that I, I, I'm taking away as I finish this up is just what I mentioned in passing, that you gave your all. God sent his son, Jesus, went to the cross. As the passage in Philippians that we looked at recently says, humbled himself to walk among us as a man and then humbled himself even further to death to die a death as a man and humble himself beyond that. It's a humiliating, painful, tortuous death on the cross. You gave your all. And how could we give any less? Lord, I don't know what this means for me, for each of us, but I pray, Lord, that you would show us, that you would move us, that as, again, in Philippians it says, that you would put in us both the want to, the will, 
the desire, and also the power, the ability, the, the accomplishing of what you want to do in and through us. Lord, may that happen. Give us the want to, give us the power to follow through. And Lord, may it all be for your glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.